And that judging of ourselves of not being enough compared to, um, you know, I like to think that the only comparison that we can ever truly make is ourself to ourself. And letting go of that judgment of I am not enough compared to that person or judging other people is really just a reflection on ourselves. You know, our shadows are the deepest parts of ourselves that just want to be loved. A lot of the time we judge ourselves where we're not meeting up to other people's expectations or our expectations of ourselves compared to someone else. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast. This week, we have a beautiful, amazing and most gorgeous soul, The incredible Kat Parkinson is the owner and director of Nine Lives Coaching, specializing in helping people of all ages and genders to overcome addictions. This can include one of our modern day's biggest dependencies, alcohol. Now, this gorgeous being uses a unique fusion of hypnotherapy, NLP timeline, therapy, Reiki, embodiment tools, and access consciousness to guide clients on a journey into the depths of their unconscious mind to understand why they sabotage and how to overcome when that seed was first planted. You're going to hear her in today's beautiful podcast, share her story, and she is very raw, real, authentic, and open about her life growing up, about her dependency on alcohol, the compromising positions and places she got herself into as a young woman, and how that's affected her growing What you're going to love in particular is that now at 47 years of age, a happily married and mother of two incredible children, she has been on her own remarkable health journey. And I think you're going to see that by doing the inner work and never giving up on herself, no matter how hard it's got and having professional guidance every step of the way, she is proof that anything is possible. I'm going to invite you to listen to this with open ears and an open heart. She has proudly overcome many of the challenges that could have otherwise ruined her life, including the trauma of sexual abuse and domestic violence. She's quit drinking and smoking, and now she is on an incredible mission to help her clients overcome their own sabotaging beliefs and behaviors and heal their past with ease and grace. Her passion is to help everyone create a magical life that is full of love, life, and adventure. You are going to love today's podcast. And I look forward to hearing your feedback and comments on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28, my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training. And I look forward to hearing your comments at thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Enjoy today's show. You're going to love the amazing cat. And I cannot wait to hear what you think. Take care. Be kind. So as you can hear, I am delighted once again to interview a very special soul, someone I can call a dear friend, someone who I've had the pleasure of journeying with for the last couple of years, and someone who I look up to and admire wholeheartedly. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous Kat Parkinson. Kim, thank you so much for having me and thank you listeners as well. This is an absolute honor to be here and I'm, I'm very excited to be here and chat with you today. 
Well, I think the listener is in for an absolute showstopper. I think one of the most beautiful things about you is your ability to be so open, so raw and so real. I know there's a whole lot of things that you do and that you have created in your life, but maybe if it's all right with you, just so that the listener can get to understand your background, your story, what led you into the space and place that you are today? Mm, Beautiful question. Thank you. Um, So my whole life I have always felt like I was on a mission to help people. You know, I was... um, always wanting to make people happy, always putting others' needs first. And I almost felt like I had this magnet on me that would draw people to me and want to tell me their deepest, darkest secrets. Um, I I guess people knew from a very young age that they could trust me and, you know, people would open up in ways that they didn't even understand. You know, they'd start telling me a whole bunch of stuff and then be like, oh, where's that coming from? So, you know, I consider that I have always been an empath. Um, I I feel very deeply. I listen very deeply um, and I love helping people. And I think, you know, the earliest memory I have from helping people and wanting to be, you know, a really good girl was when I was really quite young and um, I could feel my mum and dad's relationship was pretty much at an end. And there was a lot of tension. There wasn't a lot of talking. I don't remember any yelling, any screaming, anything like that, but I knew that there was a lot of tension. And so I wanted to be as helpful as possible, you know, do all the things like clean up after the dog so that no one else had to, I wanted to make people happy. And then I started to feed off that. I really enjoyed making people feel good. Um, which is funny because that feels a little bit selfish, you know, like when, when you're little, you know, getting reward by actually being helpful is really quite lovely. So, um, at that time, you know, I could, I was almost people pleasing to the extreme though, you know, it was at the detriment of my own wants and needs a lot of the time, um, because I just needed to be liked. So a lot of the time that then spread into my other relationships, um, you know, friends at school, would be just do whatever other people wanted to do to make them happy, you know, help people in every way possible, um, you know, which sometimes backfired because people would allow themselves to be vulnerable and surrender and just tell me all of their deepest, darkest secrets. And then when they felt good again, then they would, you know, push me away or, or make fun of me or just be like, yeah, I don't need you anymore or you're too nice or whatever that was. I know. Right. Um, and I love, I've heard you talk about before as well, which is so true was that whole, Oh, you love yourself. And so I started to learn that, okay, maybe I just need to help people and it's okay for them to walk all over me. If that means that they actually like me some of the time. Um, and also don't love myself because people don't like that. It makes them, you know, I realize now it makes them feel bad if they didn't actually love themselves so much. So it's taken a lot of work for me to get back to a point where I love the hell out of myself now. And, um, yeah, I'm saying that on global podcast here that, yeah, the best thing that I ever did was relearn how to love myself and to be able to then spread that love out to others. But yeah, so that was where my early um, people pleasing came around. Um, and then, 
Um, I, I guess mostly, you know, we're talking about the fact that I am a sobriety coach. Um, you know, I'm a hypnotherapist. I work with NLP and timeline therapy, the same as you, beautiful. And I also do Reiki and access bars, embodiment. Um, but my, my need to help people, um, you know, and feeling lost because I didn't know who I was. I was all about helping everyone else. I was looking and looking for all of the things that made me happy. Um, and so that meant a lot of running away from myself as well, not actually looking within, always looking without, you know, trying to find happiness from other people the same way that I felt that I was providing happiness for others that needed that. So I went from, you know, I actually went from school to school and then I went from job to job, um, just trying to find the thing that lit me up and also being of service. So eventually that led me to, I mean, I started teaching at uni, but then I got really sick and ended up dropping out of that. Uh, I ended up becoming a police officer um, in New South Wales. So, you know, for me, that was a lot about, um, you know, the protect and serve was our motto. And I loved the idea of that. I ended up going into domestic violence liaison and that was basically just helping victims of domestic violence through the court process and through getting AVOs. So the domestic violence um, orders, protection orders and helping people in that way. But unfortunately getting them in front of the courts, um, the magistrates would never back those. Well, very rarely would they back up the way that they should have. And so, you know, the offenders and the victims ended up you know, being back together, the victims going back to the offender and then, you know, things would get worse and worse and worse. And I felt yet again at a loss. I felt like I wanted to protect everybody, um, but I wasn't being backed up in that way. So, you know, eventually I left the police and uh, that's where, you know, it took me quite a while to work out what it was, but that's where I love what I do now because I actually help people to, to really help themselves, you know, help heal themselves. Um, and alcohol is the thing that I work with because I, you know, when I was trying to work out exactly what it is, I wanted to help people with, it made sense that I had been binge drinking for 32 years. Um, and that was just a mask for me. So for me, the drinking started at, um, well, 14 is when I started drinking regularly. Um, you know, I had started experimenting with alcohol, I think when I was about 12 and I realized that for me, that was because I was lonely. Um, I was alone a lot. You know, my beautiful mother had three children, single mom, you know, having to work full time and, and run a household and doing all of that meant that I was alone a bit, you know, outside of school. So I started looking for mischief, um, and just, you know, looking for comfort as well. I realized now in hindsight. So I, yeah, I started drinking as a little bit of excitement and, you know, no one in my family drank. So I didn't have any healthy role models, what alcohol consumption really looked like. All I'd heard was that we had a long line of alcoholics. Um, my great uncle was the only person that I had really seen at that time, um, with alcohol. And he was, he was, you know, always drunk. He was known as the, you know, the party man, I guess, of the family, you know, he, he drank a lot. He was on his, you know, he'd already divorced three wives. He was a gambler. And I remember my brother once upon a time saying, ah, he's the coolest. I'm going to be just like him. And, you know, turns out my brother is an alcoholic and, you know, divorced and, and doing all those sorts of things. Um, so I think, 
My father leaving when I was five was a massive thing for me. I realized that he had, um, I think emotionally checked out, um, before that because he was very lost himself. And so there was a bit of, I felt like at the time, a bit of abandonment, which I had then worked on. And so feeling abandoned from him and then never really having much of a relationship with him, I then felt the need to look to any other boy that would pay me attention um, to, you know, to be able to try and recuperate that love. Now, obviously at the time I didn't know that that's what I was doing, but, you know, hindsight and doing so much work that we do on ourselves when we do all of these self-healing courses, um, you know, I realized that I was looking to any other boy that could try and fill that void that my father had left when he left. And so mix alcohol and boys together at the ripe old age of 14. And that's where I started to really get myself in trouble. That and the, the people pleasing um, meant that I was super polite um, to everybody, even at the detriment of my own safety. So, you know, there was a lot of times there where, you know, I'd be kissing a boy or whatever. And then I'd be like, well, I don't know when the right time is to stop. I don't want to make him feel embarrassed. I don't want him to feel offended. Um, and I also, you know, there was a lot growing up around the beach. There was a lot of, um, you know, if you didn't put out or if you didn't, you know, hang out with the boys or whatever, you were either a prude or you're frigid, um, or you were, you know, if you were kissing somebody and then you stopped, you know, you were then a prick tease. There was so much connotation with a lot of that, with the groups that I hung out with anyway, in the beaches, you know, in the, the late eighties, early nineties. Um, so mixing all of those things together, the people pleasing, the abandonment, the alcohol, you know, that led to me losing my virginity while I was very drunk and passed out on the beach one night to a boy that I'd only known for about a week. Um, you know, I sort of, uh, had blacked out. I came to, and I was just like, Oh, well, there you go. I'm having sex. So unfortunately after that point in time, um, I thought that that was the only way to get boys to like me. So, you know, I, I got to the point where, um, I became very promiscuous and because, you know, there was that people pleasing, there was no, I, I was never really sure when the right time was to say, Oh, hang on. My gut's telling me no more. No, don't go any further. Um, so I just went along and did whatever the boys wanted at the time, you know, and I felt needed then I felt wanted and I felt like I was pleasing people. So it kind of feels a bit messed up, but I then got to the point where I didn't really know how to socialize without alcohol. Um, you know, I'd always thought that I was an extrovert and people liked me when I was the party girl, I got a lot of attention, you know, I got a lot of interest from boys. And so that just became what I knew about socializing. You know, we'd go to all the surf club dances or the school dances or whatever they were. And we'd get really pissed beforehand. Um, and then that way, you know, we'd sort of know that that was a given that we were going to have a great night because we were drunk and, you know, and there was a huge binge drinking culture, especially in Sydney in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and then, yeah, that was definitely a great way to get boys to pay attention to me. And then that would usually end up in me putting myself in dangerous positions as well. So, um, you know, for me, there was a lot, I felt uncomfortable socializing without alcohol. Um, and I felt that without socializing, I wasn't getting the attention that I wanted. And I ended up getting myself into this big vicious cycle. 
So, you know, joining the police was this multi-leveled thing. It was, you know, first of all, it meant that I got to help people. I got to be a protector and a server. Um, It also meant that I was in a community with a great drinking culture and with lots of hot guys in uniform. So it kind of ticked all of my boxes there. Um, And, yeah, for me that felt really great, Uh, except for, as I said, the fact that I didn't really get to help the people the way that I wanted to help them because, you know, beyond what I could do for them, they were then almost, you know, returning back into their old environments again. So I knew something had to change. Um, And then my husband and I ended up moving to Adelaide from Sydney, you know, and for me at the time I said, oh, you know, well, unfortunately I have to give up my career, but I, I felt like I had done all that I could do in that career at that time. So coming back to Adelaide uh, or coming to Adelaide, you know, it meant finding myself again. And so I felt very lost for quite a lot of years. Um, we, we ended up, you know, we got married, we had babies, but there was still a part of me that felt missing. Like I wasn't um, really feeling all the feels, you know, like when I was holding, you know, these brand new, beautiful, healthy babies, there was a little bit of me missing. And then I realized that I had depression And so, you know, a lot of the time alcohol is a massive exacerbator of depression, but, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, well, I'm not an alcoholic because, you know, we drink really lovely, fancy wine. We only buy our wines from wineries, Um, you know, which was part of the catalyst of us moving to Adelaide. It was just like, we get to have this beautiful place and my God, there's wineries everywhere and they're all so close. Why would you not want to live there? So um, that was really quite uh, it felt quite lovely at the time. We met a lot of really beautiful friends and we would just do wineries all the time with all of these beautiful people. So my life really did revolve around drinking. Um, you know, and even after having kids, we then had all of our friends had kids around the same time. So we could go to these beautiful wineries that catered for families, you know, while the grown-ups could go and drink lots of lovely things, the kids would all be together and, you know, and safe and having fun. Uh, they weren't really having fun. They didn't actually like going to the wineries, but we didn't really give them much of a choice, but that, that said, um, you know, still trying to find myself. And that's when I started getting into meditation. You know, I had a friend of mine, we went out, we were having wine with lunch and she said, Oh, I, I can't have any more. Cause I'm about to go to a meditation. And my, my body literally lurched out of my chair and said, I need to know more. Where is this? And so that's when I started going to meditations with her and I started raising my vibration. I started feeling this love flooding back in. Um, So just a side note, when I was talking about before not feeling all of the things that I thought that I should be feeling with my babies was that I had been in a domestic violence and sexual assault relationship before I met my husband Um, you know, and that's what had happened with that drinking and that promiscuity or, or really, you know, a need for need to be loved by someone other than me um, was because I didn't really have that self-love and each relationship was getting bigger and deeper and harder to the point where I found myself in a relationship, you know, my self-worth by this stage was quite low that I found myself in a relationship with, with a very gorgeous man. Um, so that ticked that box. Um, but then there was, yeah, he would make me do things uh, sexually when I didn't feel like it you know, because I could feel aggression coming from him. I didn't feel safe in my body. 
Um, but you know, as I had been doing most of my life, I thought just push through it, just do the thing that you need to do to stay safe. So I realized, you know, there had been prior to that, there had been a couple of times when I'd put myself in very dangerous positions with other men as well. Again, not knowing when is the polite time to say no and to not be a prick tease and to not make a mountain out of a molehill. Um, so I was actually raped a couple of times, um, in my, uh, when I was 18, um, there were a couple of those. And so, but I just thought, oh, well, that's just me. I was, you know, I brought that on myself because I was drunk again or whatever that was, you know, I I managed to make myself both the victim and the offender in all of those cases. So when I got to this point when I was then, you know, he became quite violent as well, this relationship that I'd had. And by this stage I was 30, you know, and thinking, well, I'm getting older. If I want to settle down with somebody, I'm just going to have to settle for somebody who's going to love me. Um, and you know, maybe there is no perfect relationship, but there was something inside of me that lit up and said, no, you got to get out something that, you know, saved me. And I like to think that it was, you know, a lot of the work that we do, especially with hypnotic regression, maybe I went back and saved myself at that time. And, you know, and whispered to myself from the future, you've got to get out. This is too dangerous. So after that, that's when I really started to realize that something was wrong. And I think at that point in time, after that relationship, I had shut my emotions down. You know, I'd had my heart broken so many times that I just thought there's no point in opening my heart anymore. Um, and so I did actually make a decision in that moment, which I have revisited and overcome now, but I would rather feel nothing than feel this. And so I had actually shut down a part of myself. I stopped feeling I stopped being able to feel deep love. And so, you know, with my husband, my, I knew in my soul that he was the one for me, but I'd never felt that overwhelming deep love. And I just told myself, oh, well, that's just what happens when you find the one and you settle down, you know, eventually that would fade in a marriage anyway, you know, and then my babies come along and I couldn't feel that deep unconditional love. I knew that something was missing. And so cut to doing these meditations was when I actually started to bring love back into my life, you know, going really deep in these. um, I think at the time they weren't really allowed to call them hypnotic journeys. So they were guided meditations, but there was something very hypnotic about these meditation sessions. Um, I ended up doing a, a four day course called awakening the illuminated heart. And within that started bringing energy back into my heart. And that's when I started to realize, oh, there is a bit of feeling here, which allowed me to realize how much was actually missing and how much I had shut down. So yeah, that's when I started doing so much self-love work, you know, working about, you know, going into my heart and manifesting. Um, I started to manifest that, yeah, you know what, I've always loved people um, talking to me about their problems. I just never felt like I had the right words to say. And so that's when I started to think, one day when I have more money or one day when I'm feeling more worthy, I'll start doing these courses that, you know, my dad had done hypnotherapy when I was in my early twenties. Um, and he had actually, we'd only done one session together, but he had helped me get rid of an inflammatory bowel disease that had been really debilitating for quite a few years. Um, so, you know, the fact that I was able to be healed from something, you know, I was on steroids and all sorts of medications, um, you know, eventually I had developed ovarian cysts and all sorts of, um, ovarian problems, which I realize now, um, you know, with all of the, the sexual trauma, I guess that I had had, um, and sexual guilt as well, you know, that I felt like there was a lot of guilt, um, from using my body to try and get love that, that sort of started to manifest into dis-ease. 
And so, you know, I had the ovarian cysts, I had the inflammatory bowel disease and through hypnosis was able to feel so much relief and actually feel healed from all of that. Um, you know, years later, as I said, I'd had, you know, the, um, dangerous relationships. Um, there was an incident in the police where I had been shot at, um, you know, there was all sorts of trauma had been happening that I actually then manifested that disease back into my body. So through these deep heart meditations, I was actually able to heal myself again, um, from those, those diseases and start to really bring that love back into my life. Started to, to say to my husband, you know, cause I was a lot of guilt there about taking time away from the kids. Um, you know, one day, all of a sudden I just went, I need to quit my job. This is not working for me. This is not my passion. This is not what I want to do. Um, and so I literally went into work and just quit my job and floated around for a little while trying to work out who am I, what do I want? What actually makes me happy? You know, I'd been pleasing other people for so long that I didn't even know what pleased me. So, um, it felt quite courageous to be able to say to my husband, you know what, I need to go and do this weekend course, or I need to, you know, go and do this evening course. Um, and I need for you to be there for the kids. That felt huge for me. Um, asking for help, asking for support and putting myself first for the first time in a very long time. And the more I did it, the more lit up I felt and the more healing I felt coming back into me and the more confidence I started bringing back into myself, which, you know, he'd always been incredibly supportive. He had never said, you can't go and do anything for yourself. It was my own perspective. I'd been thinking, who am I to ask for time for myself? Who am I to say, I want to go and have a bath, you know, and just do nothing for anyone else for a little while. But the more I started to introduce that into my life, the more I started to feel wholer and less that I needed to look without and started to look within. And so, yeah, eventually I, um, I went to Queensland and I did an incredible ayahuasca weekend, um, which for anybody who's not familiar with that is a, a really beautiful Amazonian plant medicine that tribes have been using for millennia, um, to bring love into their lives, to bring the community or the tribe together, um, for purging things that no longer are necessary, you know, because, you know, one of our beautiful NLP prepositions, uh, suppositions is that we do the best that we can with the resources that we have. And so as I started to build my, my bank of resources, I started to realize, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can now to feel this healing deep in my soul, deep in my heart. And so ayahuasca was massive for me. I managed to, you know, release a lot of things to understand myself on a level that I hadn't for years to start forgiving myself for all of these things that I'd done as a teenager, you know, like a naughty teenager, all of those sorts of things and start to realize that they were the best resources that I had at that time. You know, if drinking meant that I felt safe to socialize and socializing got me love, then that makes sense that that felt like the best resource for me at the time. You know, if people pleasing got me the attention and the love that I needed when I couldn't find it for myself, then that, you know, required my own forgiveness. And so starting to forgive myself for doing all of the things that I had done throughout my life was profound. 
And it also meant that I could start to manifest the future that I wanted, which involved doing NLP, you know, and for me, that had been a huge thing to be able to say, you know, again, to my husband. And again, this is just my own perspective and what I was projecting onto him was that I want to do a course for myself. I'm not going to be available for the kids or to make meals or anything. And it's going to cost money. That felt massive for me. But once that was out and he was like, that sounds great. I was like, really? <laughs> Why was I holding myself back from this? And that allowed me to start asking for more of what I wanted to start doing the things that lit me up, you know, and through NLP, I started seeing clients, um, you know, and then straight away I said, yes, I need to do hypnotherapy because this stuff is my jam. Um, you know, and having had the experience I'd had with my dad, I know that it works and it works on such a beautiful, deep level, you know, where you don't even need to be consciously aware of whatever the problem is, you know, your, your unconscious mind knows everything that you've ever done and it's all in there. And so by knowing what the problem, like getting to the problem means that we can also find that solution. So knowing that that worked, I was like, right, I'm doing the next course. And when I'd get to the end of that course, it's like, um, hubby, by the way, I've signed up for the next course and I've signed up for a different course and I've done another course as well. And I started bringing courses in. I did a beautiful embodiment course called the embodied queen. And that was a 10 week course about bringing you back into your body when, you know, a lot of the things that I'd been doing where I had shut my emotions down and shut my heart down because it didn't feel safe. I started to breathe back into those spaces and to move those spaces and to bring love back into myself. So, um, you know, and I was very lucky to be then invited to crew on NLP. So I got to do it again from a different perspective. I got invited to crew on the embodied queen. And so I got everything at those different levels, you know, as we know, Kim having crewed recently on master prac, the more you study, the more you learn things at a different level and it's profound. So a bit like you, I became a bit of a, a study junkie. I was just like, I want to do all the courses. I want to say yes to everything. Um, and I feel like now, you know, I am living the life of my dreams. I really honestly do, you know, the work that I've been doing on myself has had a profound impact, that ripple effect that we talk about on my kids and on my husband, you know, he has been now working on himself, you know, in, in the way that's best for him, you know, that's different to me and that's perfect. Whatever way people can work on themselves is absolutely perfect for them. Um, you know, the way that my children talk now, you know, the way that if I'm having a day or a couple of days where I'm going through something really big, you know, like expansion, you know, life is all about that chaos and order, chaos, order. And if I'm having a chaos moment, it means that my soul is expanding and learning something new. My daughter now senses that she feels that. And she, she'll say, mommy, can we have a cuddle? And she'll just want to hug me. And she just these words that fall out of her 10 year old mouth, it blows my mind. Um, you know, like you would with your gorgeous, gorgeous daughter as well, is that the work that we do in ourselves just affects everyone around us and, and helps them to realize that they can change and that they can grow and that they're allowed to have bad days as, you know, I would like to think as long as they learn something from that. And so the work that I do with my clients, you know, the alcohol is the mask you know, and for me, a lot of that, you know, as I've already mentioned, but also I didn't like feeling discomfort. You know, I didn't like feeling vulnerable. I didn't like putting myself out there and not knowing how that was going to be received. And so by being able to get rid of alcohol myself, 
you know, I've been sober 15 months now. And for somebody who used to drink pretty much every day, if I didn't drink a day, it was just like, I want fucking accolades for that high fives from everybody. I didn't have a drink. Look at me, but I'm not an alcoholic because I drink the fancy stuff and I can go without if I want to. I started to do mindset courses where it was, you know, 60 days without alcohol and, and doing all sorts of wonderful things. So I knew that I could go without drinking, but I just didn't like that discomfort. And for me, whenever I started to feel uncomfortable, I started to think about alcohol. That was my trigger. It was if I felt a bit lonely or a bit vulnerable, I thought about alcohol. And then the the effort that was required to not think about alcohol you know, it's like we talk about, you know, don't think of a yellow lemon. You've got to think about the yellow lemon to not think about it. So don't think about alcohol. Don't think about alcohol was massive amount of effort. Um, but doing some quantum, a quantum linguistics healing, um, with Juliet during our master practitioner course, that was it. That blew everything out of the water. And I knew then, um, starting in the new year, that was December at that stage, mid December, starting the new year, I was going to stop drinking forever. Um, so I ended up having a couple of nights where I drank, but not much. And then when I got to New Year's Eve, which was going to be my last hurrah, I was like, I don't even want to drink. This sounds ridiculous. Almost like I'm making myself drink so that it's, I know that it's my last drink. And in that moment, something, um, something switched and I just felt like I didn't need to drink anymore. Um, which was wonderful. And then that really allowed me to go even deeper into my healing journey and to realize all of the reasons why I drank and why that was again, the best resource for me at the time when I didn't know how else to help myself. Um, but then this beautiful healing work that we do allowed me to, to be vulnerable. And the more I share my story, um, you know, the more I am vulnerable, the more I'm real and raw and just put all the cards out on the table, the more healing that is for me, but it also, the amount of times I do that and then there's somebody listening that that struck a chord with them and that allowed them to think, oh, that makes so much sense for my story too. You know, it means that I am willing more and more to share my story and I love it. I love the impact that it has. Even if it is just one person listening that has an aha moment, then that was worth it. So I love all of that. So that's what I do with my clients now. I help them to overcome their drinking patterns to under, understand themselves on such a deep, deep level to go back to the very first time that they even knew that alcohol existed um, and what was happening at that time around them and what they made that mean to themselves and in that moment to make a decision of one day to get X, Y, and Z, I need to be a drinker, is usually, you know, um, they see people around them being connected, having fun, and they also feel abandoned, neglected, ignored, whatever it is for them at the time, they're not included in whatever the people are doing who are drinking. And so we go back to that time and they can really have a look around, you know, using hypnotic regression and realize that actually that's not really what happened. That's just what they made that mean at the time. Um, and we do lots of other wonderful things as well, using all of the beautiful tools and modalities that we have, but by helping people to become non-drinkers, and understanding why they drank in the first place and what that actually did for them for as long as they needed that, you know, but looking at their life in so many different ways so that they can remove the mask that is alcohol 
um, stop distracting themselves from what's really trying to get their attention underneath the surface. Because as you know, Kim, when we have something underneath, you know, like a trauma or some kind of issue or hurt or problem underneath, your unconscious wants to help you by getting rid of it you know, and it wants to bring it up into your awareness. And so a lot of the time masking means pushing that back down and pretending it's not even there. So it's the therapy work that we do is not creating new problems. It's actually just allowing you to bring up in a safe environment, what's already there under the surface that's been trying to get your attention because it just wants love. It's just a part of us that needs to be acknowledged and loved. And we can't do that without awareness. And a lot of people put off doing healing work because they think it needs to be scary or big or they're going to fall apart. And yet it's the opposite is true is that it can feel, it can even be fun and having somebody holding a beautiful, safe and loving space and guiding you through the parts of your story that you that have already happened. So these are not new things and allowing people to observe them from a different perspective. You know, you're not the same person you were when you made certain decisions when you were two or three or four, and bringing back all of the awareness that you have now and looking at those from a safe perspective and then understanding yourself and going, of course I would do that. Anybody in my position would have done that. Um, I love myself. I forgive myself and let that go and learn what it is and make a new decision that that is the most powerful thing I think that any of us can do. And so people get to the point where they really don't even need alcohol anymore. It doesn't actually serve a purpose. And we put in place, you know, new self-care, self-love, um, components so that they can really bring that love back to themselves. So I, I welcome you to have a word if you want to, because I realize I've been speaking nonstop <laughs> and I no. can keep speaking, but I love your voice. So I'll let uh, you go for it. Well, I love yours and that story is huge. And I just want to acknowledge you once again for being so raw and real and authentic. And I'm sure anyone listening to this can see that whilst alcohol is the thing that we're talking about predominantly that was your mask for others it's drugs for others it's yep. sex for others it's food for others so these these online masks. shopping computer games thank whatever you. yeah thank you and I just I just really heard that in the way that you were sharing it and I have obviously taken some notes but one of the things that I'd love to come back to um it's a, it's a very deep question and you talked over it quite quickly, but I think it's something that we <laughs> all forget very often. That question of what is it that makes me happy? Mm. It's almost the most profound and deep and rewarding question to spend time investigating and getting curious about because for so many of us, as you said, growing up as the good girl, the people pleaser, doing things to help others, whilst that's virtuous, it also costs you. There's a, there seems to be a sacrifice and a cost for all yeah. good. There seems to be an opposing force. And we mm. know in order to have one, we also have to have the other. And so I'd love to ask you, in all of your learnings and all of your journey to this date, do you think it's important first and foremost to acknowledge the journey and to realize that each of us are on a journey to learn something. Mm. Or do you think it would have helped you to have had intervention from parents or teachers or other people? Is it all imperfectly perfect 
or do you think it should have been played out in a different way? Or are you saying it's important to honour who we are, where we are and what we've done? And now whatever the opportunity is to do the self-inquiry will come at the right time. What do you think is the answer? Absolutely. Everything that you've said is so perfect. There was a time when I felt very angry. Um, I felt a lot of why me, why does this happen to me? You know, and that depression, I think for me was dishonoring myself. It was not being true to myself. It was a contrast between where I was and who I knew that I could be and how I felt, how I knew that I wanted to feel. Um, so for me, there was definitely a lot of contrast and a lot of, um, at effect, like I felt like the world was doing this to me and why does everybody else have such an easy life? And I don't, I realize now that every single person is on their own journey. I love, you know, I know that there's a lot of different beliefs, I love to believe that I am a spirit having a human experience that I have chosen to come to this incredible planet to expand my soul, to be, to become aware of what it is to be human. And we can't, you know, it'd be like playing, wanting to be a winner without actually doing anything to achieve that, you know, wanting to have the gold medal without putting in all the effort, you know, the training and then the mindset and, you know, getting to the finishing line first, you know, having that gold medal in your hand without earning that also, you maybe wouldn't appreciate it as much perhaps, but for me, I'm at the point now where it is absolutely imperfectly perfect. I have had, you know, I I definitely can say that I've ticked a lot of boxes in my life on my human journey. Um, you know, almost as if I was before coming into this physical body saying, right, I want to learn all the things I want to know everything. I want to experience a lot, um, you know, within reason. So, you know, with my lot in life as a, you know, a, a female white person living in Australia, you know, I think there's a lot of other things that, um, other people definitely have their own journeys. And I like to think that we have chosen and that we will only ever choose something that we're strong enough to handle. So, uh, I regret nothing now. Um, you know, there are certainly days when I still feel deeper than other days. Um, but from those days, you know, I, I learned so much about myself and about the human soul. Um, and I, yeah, absolutely regret nothing. I think that everything that I have been through has given me so much strength and resilience and tenacity and the ability to help others as well, because, you know, I can, I can read a book, um, but it's not until I actually put those things into place and experience those things. Do I really know what that is like? So, you know, I can tell people, you know, you should do this, that, and the other, but if I haven't experienced something for myself, Um, I don't feel like that it's coming from as an authentic place. So I feel like with all of the experience that I've had with domestic violence, sexual assault, alcohol abuse, um, self-love voids, I guess, and the people pleasing and having overcome all of that, I feel like I have so much more awareness now of what other people go through Um, and knowing that everybody is exactly where they're meant to be, you know, and that when the time is right for them, they'll know when that is and their soul will find them the right person, you know, like the beautiful people in your world have found you because something in their soul said, yes, I need to know more about what she's saying because that feels right in my body. Um, 
And I, I think being, you know, all of the things that I've done in my life, I learned to, you know, as I said, putting myself in dangerous positions meant that I turned off those parts of me that trusted myself. Um, and so bringing back to a point now where I trust myself, I trust who the right person is that I need to speak to in that moment or who the right person is that I need to do some coaching with, because I don't think that our healing journey ever ends. You know, I like to, I love that in my community, I've surrounded myself with the most incredibly intelligent, wise healers that, you know, I can tap into any one of us and just say, Hey, I'm just experiencing something that I'd love some help with and vice versa. You know, I love being able to, to offer service, um, you know, not only to my clients, but to people in my community, because I think we're all on a journey that's always continuing, that we're always, we've always got more to learn. Um, and I think that everybody is, you know, on the right path for them, even though sometimes it feels really hard and they may feel like there's no end to it. That's where, you know, all of that strength comes from is being able to, to really love every part of us and every part of our journey. Um, and be grateful for all the experiences that we do have. And I know that there are some people out there who are potentially going through some really tough times. Um, but I think that we, we choose the things that we need to learn from and that we'll, you know, the universe will never give us more than we can handle is my belief. <laughs> I, I think it's profound. And I also think it's incredibly heartwarming because I think we all go through the phases, the highs and the lows. Mm -hmm. And while you're mm -hmm. in a really good place, someone else isn't. And when yeah. that person climbs, crawls and, and absolutely tears their way out of that process, then they're feeling great. And someone else is now down. And I think yeah. that ebb and flow. And I think one of the things I've taken from what you're saying then is every experience has an opportunity for growth and learning. Mm. Every opportunity that we've had in our life has been created through us and for us, not yeah. at us. And I yeah. really love that. To us. Yeah, I really love that when you said that at the beginning. I thought the world was doing it to me. And mm. I think one of the things that I've I've heard through you is this this incredible thing of judgment we have on ourselves mm. and the ability to beat ourselves up for what is or what isn't. What would you say then to the person who's sitting there right here, right now, maybe in a very vulnerable spot or maybe about to make a big decision either to leave a relationship or maybe even go into a relationship or move in with someone or have a child or buy a house or whatever these big moments are. Do you think then the, the calling that you were talking about, the, the meditation, that, that going back into ourselves, is that one of the most strongest places we can sit in and be in? And if so, how the hell do we get there in order to make that decision? <laughs> yeah, I think um, spending so much time, as I said, looking without, so outside of myself, um, I never quite found anything that felt like me, which made so much sense to go within where all of my answers are, where all of my inner knowings are, you know, with everything that fits just right for me, because I think there's, you know, we talked about judgment. We talked, we, we, um, we talk about comparison a lot as well. Like we're always at some point in time. Anyway, we have, I have always been comparing myself to the success of others um, and feeling not enough compared to that other person. But again, we don't know what someone else is going through. 
and what they've actually, you know, had to go through to achieve what they've achieved and whether they're actually truly happy with where they are. There's nothing that we can ever look outside of us and know 100% what the truth is. But when we look inside ourselves, there is nothing truer than the things that we know for ourselves. Um, And I think our heart holds so much of that inner, that wisdom, that universal intelligence that we can tap into. And for me, that was meditation. That was tuning out the outside world where there are so many different interpretations, you know, like for example, when I'm talking about the interpretations outside of ourselves, you know, if you've had a day where everything's going right and you're driving on the road and somebody pulls in front of you, you'd be like, that's okay. You're probably having a tough day or Hey, that's okay. I was going to let you in anyway. And if you're having a bad day, you're like, fuck you, cut me off. The, The person in the car hasn't changed. The only variable is me and my attitude, my beliefs, my mood, you know, my emotions on that day. And so from the same perspective is that looking outside of ourselves, we're only ever going to make whatever um, perspective out of that as how we're feeling inside anyway. So cutting out the middleman and just going straight within um, and trusting your gut trusting your soul, trusting whatever it is for you. You know, I know that everybody has different representation systems. So some people, you know, they, they feel or they hear, you know, an inner voice or whatever that is for them, a knowing and a trusting of yourself and where you're at and what you need. And that a lot of the time comes from, um, it can be breath work or it could be just, you know, taking a couple of deep breaths to calm our nervous system and asking yourself, what do I need in this moment or what am I feeling right now? Um, and then just trusting that whatever comes up for you is exactly what you need, not what someone else needs in their moment. Um, and that judging of ourselves of not being enough compared to, um, you know, I like to think that the only comparison that we can ever truly make is ourself to ourself. And, letting go of that judgment of I am not enough compared to that person or judging other people is really just a reflection on ourselves. You know, our shadows are the deepest parts of ourselves that just want to be loved. A lot of the time we judge ourselves where we're not meeting up to other people's expectations or our expectations of ourselves compared to someone else. So by being able to, to, you know, just think I am human and I am learning. And by bringing that love back to ourselves and not judging ourselves, being kind with ourselves, that inner child as well. I love doing a lot of inner child work. Um, What would my four-year-old self really need right now? You know, because right now she's probably the one who is speaking up and who needs something. So without that judgment of, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again, going, okay, well, hey, I am just having a human experience or I am just human. What is it that I really need right now and going within? So that could be for me, that's journaling um, and meditation, you know, and I think meditation can mean many things to many people. For me, I ask myself um, what I need in that moment. And sometimes it's a guided meditation. You know, I've got the beautiful Hay House app and there are so many wonderful meditations on there, you know, Insight Timer, People can have a listen to somebody else guiding them. And sometimes I just need quiet and I need solitude. Um, You know, my family know this now. Sometimes I just need to go to my room and shut the door and lay down and just be silent and to, to calm 
that nervous system and just to allow whatever thoughts want to come through to come through without judgment and without expectation, just observing, being the quiet observer of what is actually coming through and what's coming up for me and being at peace with whatever that is, because it just wants a voice. It wants to be heard or seen. Um, and then a lot of the time journaling afterwards about what came up for me again, without judgment, without expectation, just writing and just seeing what comes out, you know, that's, I like to think that journaling has many different levels, but one of them is it gives our soul, um, the opportunity to, to be, um, brought out onto paper to be brought out into the light for us to observe as well. You know, sometimes if you can switch off your mind and just write and write and write, and then you read it back, you're like, wow, that's awesome. I didn't even know that I knew that or that I felt that. So that's for me, um, meditation and journaling is huge that going within and, and quietening, you know, the, the outside world and getting to know what it is that I want not what, you know, that, that people pleasing what everyone else wants. What do I actually want? What am I actually feeling? What do I need right now? And just trusting it's a habit, you know, it's a habit. The first couple of times for some people, it may feel ineffectual or it may feel weird or, I, I, you know, it could feel a, a myriad of things, but, you know, as a habit, um, you start to learn that you can tap into yourself before looking outside and, and yeah, it's a beautiful habit once you can learn to really trust yourself because then that spreads into every area of your life, I believe. Beautiful. And in that process then of taking the time for solitude or breath work or journaling or whatever it is, that really is an act of self-care and self-love. Mm. And what would be your definition of self-love? Oh, for me, it changes all the time, but it's whatever lights me up and whatever makes me feel at peace. And that could be something different. Um, but I have a lot of regulars on my self-love list. And one of those is to have a bath. Um, you know, that's something I was saying when my kids were little, it felt very, there was a lot of guilt there, um, of having to say, I want some time to myself and I want to do something that feels nice. And so now that feels like the ultimate luxury still, um, is to have a really hot bath. Um, you know, I put in some beautiful bath oils. I put in some beautiful essential oils. My favorite one that I use is the 28 and this is not just a plug for 28 cause they are amazing. Um, but I use the detox and strengthen drops in my bath every time. Um, and then some magnesium salts and I'll either, um, have a beautiful book or a podcast or lights out and put on some candles and just soak and relax and just really unpack whatever it is, switch off, just enjoy myself. Um, something new that I have started uh, about a month and a half ago, something that I'd always wanted to do, but I had talked myself out of, I've started doing KX Pilates. Um, and for me, that feels like self-love because I actually really enjoy it now. Like now that I've been doing it long enough. In fact, today I finished a challenge. They had the KX 40 challenge, which is doing 20 classes. And I did my 20th class today in that 40 days. Um, so for me, that feels like self-love because my body's getting stronger. Um, you know, I used to tell myself a story that, you know, the older I got, the more I would probably just, you know, get weaker and, and stronger and grayer and, you know, start to lose my mind or whatever the old stories were that I'd heard other older people talk about. Um, and I've just gone nuts. That's not for me now. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get younger looking. My mind is going to get even more powerful. Um, and 
gray hair, you know, vintage blonde. I don't care about that. That's fine. But yeah, for me, there's definitely that. Um, sometimes it's, uh, cacao setting up with, you know, beautiful ceremonial ritual of cacao. Um, you know, I create a beautiful loving space with, you know, something that smells wonderful. I'm a, I'm a human design. I'm a manifester. So I'm, I'm very big on smells. So that's why I love all the, the essential oils. You know, I've got my oil burner or beautiful candles. Um, you know, I've always got something lovely smelling around and then cacao helps me to really get deep into my heart and just take time with myself. Um, lotions, beautiful lotions, coaching swaps, studying, you know, just even getting out in nature and walking the dog. Um, you know, I think I mentioned the reading and the audio books, like just anything, it doesn't have to be, has, doesn't have to be something that is educational. It can just be something that makes you feel really good. And I know there may be some people out there listening who think I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to journal, but I find that with meditating and journaling, getting all of that, that noise out of my head, it actually makes me far more efficient in all the rest of my life, um, you know, in everything else that I do. So those, those moments that I take to meditate and to get clarity in my mind helps me to be more efficient throughout my day. And that, that makes up for the time that I've spent meditating tenfold, you know, and same with journaling is actually getting out whatever it is that's going round and round in my mind out onto paper and getting out of my head to create a clear space. Then it also allows me to be more efficient in every other area of my life. So again, that, you know, that investment in time, it, it pays back in, in so much more time in the, in the long run. So well, there's, there's that real belief that the 20 minutes you spend meditating or journaling is actually for the other 23 hours and 40 minutes. Yeah. It's all about what you're going to do with the rest of that time. So the investment into this moment is actually what creates the beauty and the, I guess, the stability, the harmony, the love and all the things, the strength and all of those things for all the other times. I know we could talk forever, you and I, <laughs> and I know we have a huge passion for people and their journey. And I'm sure Thank you. I just want to say for taking one for the team, um, <laughs> for being the person who uh, has chosen to express their story because, as you said, for sharing it even if one person is listening to this right now and even if it's not them themselves going through the process of maybe an alcoholic journey or whatever that is, but sometimes we know people who are and if nothing mm. else, it helps us to understand. But before, I, I would love for you, you talked about the power of hypnotic regression and mm. what NLP is. I'd just love you to spend a little bit of time explaining just for the listener, what is hypnotic regression? How has hypnosis worked? And do you have to be watching some magician who clicks their fingers <laughs> and watches someone dance around like a chicken on stage to understand <laughs> what hypnosis is? And perhaps a little bit around what actually is the work that you do so that if someone could reach mm. out to you, they can. Mm, thank you. That's such a good question. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people do think pendulum and stage work and chickens, you know, there's a lot of that with hypnosis, but the hypnotherapy, um, it's basically getting almost like getting people out of their own way. It's, you know, the stories that we tell ourselves like this will work and that won't work. And that's not for me. And there's nothing wrong with me. Or, or a lot of people also believe that they know, when a significant emotional event occurred, that that was the first time that's where the problem stems from. Um, so what a hypnotic regression will do is actually 
get people into such a beautiful, deep, relaxed, hypnotic state, like a trance-like state where you are still awake. You can still talk. Um, you can still, you know, hear everything, you know, you don't collapse into a heap. You just sit back. Um, I do most of my work over zoom. So people sit in the comfort of their own home in their own chair and they just get into such a beautiful, deep, relaxed hypnotic state. And then we just trust that the unconscious mind knows exactly what to show them. Or we, we, we journey through an emotion, you know, for example, if somebody wants to work on feeling angry and not wanting to feel, you know, the levels of anger that they've been feeling, we, we know, we find that part of their body that's being affected by that emotion and we regress upon that. And so what we do is we go back to the very point in time that the unconscious wants to show us. And if it is something that people are quite um, apprehensive about actually experiencing again, we can just hover above and be the observer and see what actually happened at that time, um, for them and learn so much more about that event that they may not be able to learn because at the time when it happened, they were feeling something in their body that made them maybe want to, you know, that fight or flight and freeze or, um, what's, I think fuck is the other, F. <laughs> um, you know, whatever those emotions are at the time, they just perhaps wanted to escape or they reacted in a way that, you know, felt right for them at the time or safest for them at the time. So going back and, in, and knowing that you've already experienced it and you survived it, going back and observing it from a really safe perspective and just understanding what it was that we weren't able to learn or what we made that mean for ourselves or to realize that actually that huge trauma that has been replaying itself over and over and over in your mind, you know, maybe every day since that time, you can actually almost put that to peace because you can learn all the missing parts of the puzzle that you maybe weren't able to learn at the time. You're able to forgive anybody that you feel like you need to forgive and you're able to forgive yourself. It's just a learning experience to learn what actually really happened at the time, not what we made it mean with our limited perspective that we might've had at that time because we were affected emotionally. So, and by learning that we then also anchor into the body, you know, beautiful, safe and loving feelings that we really wanted to feel at that time. And then bring that back with us into today's story. And then from the moment of the event all the way back to now, we also see all the events along the way and, and how we can see them all from this different perspective of knowing so much more than we knew at that time and just forgiving ourselves, loving ourselves and knowing that we're safe in our body, you know, and our, our body, you know, our nervous system actually can't tell the difference between, you know, the past and the future and, you know, and everything, it only feels what it feels in this moment. And so by sometimes reliving a trauma over and over in our mind, our body goes back into that, that nervous representation of what we felt at that time. And we can bring that, you know, flood our body with neuro, like the neurotransmitters flooding every cell with love and peace and safety and whatever it is that the client or the person wants to feel instead of that old emotional feeling. Um, and then the body feels that in every cell and it feels safe. And it, it knows that in this moment that everything is okay because the body, you know, regression as we do it, your body at that time feels as if it is happening now. So by bringing peace to that event and bringing love and safety back into the body, our body can actually let go 
and just, you know, come back into homeostasis, back into that really beautiful, um, peaceful state that, you know, we all want to be living in. It's so true. And I, I would just love also to acknowledge that, um, which is what blew me away, is sometimes also appreciating that it's generational or there's um, carried trauma from, you know, previous generations and even for some people if it's a belief, previous lives. So um, have you ever found yourself, do you have one example that you could share with us of one of your clients who has actually Mm -hmm. done a regressional therapy with you and perhaps you could just, just so that we get an idea of what happened and how she or he overcame that? Yeah, um, I actually have a lot of clients who go back to the womb and the beautiful you know, being the baby in the womb, not only do they get to have a moment where they feel cradled and swaddled and, you know, connected to mother, um, but a lot of the time, because we are actually physically connected to our mother when we're in the womb, we cannot actually tell the difference between what is theirs and what is ours. And so I've had quite a few clients that have gone back to that moment when something had happened to mum. And mum's body was flooded with emotions. So for example, you know, one of my clients' mother um, lost her father. And so she felt deep grief and she felt, you know, almost that heart break that of losing a loved one so deeply. Um, And as the baby in the womb, that baby was then flooded with all of those emotions through the nervous system of grief and loss and heartbreak. Um, you know, and then the other emotions that came with that afterwards, that anger of, you know, why did this happen to me? You know, why did I lose somebody that I loved? And so this beautiful baby being flooded with so many emotions, they then stored that in their body, believing that that was theirs and kept bringing them, you know, as I said earlier, and as you know, the unconscious mind just wants you to feel um, healed and to feel safe and to feel loved. And so what happens is almost like that revolving door. It will just keep bringing these things to us. And we, we cycle through them. We keep revolving through the same old patterns until we can evolve by learning whatever we needed to learn to let that go. And so by learning that, that trauma, that grief, that loss, that heartbreak, that anger wasn't actually theirs, it was actually what they were feeling and making that mean that that was their own by letting all of that go. They stopped needing to bring in continual heartbreak and continual trauma, you know, into their lives to learn that lesson. And by learning everything that they could from what their mother went through, separating out, being able to then feel that compassion for their mum, you know, who was going through something hard at that time, but realizing that that wasn't actually theirs. They didn't have to own that anymore. They didn't have to feel that anymore. They didn't have to try and relive a story that didn't make sense to them because they couldn't remember a time when they brought that into themselves. But by, you know, being able to see that and go, oh, that makes so much sense that I felt those things, but I didn't know why. Um, Cause that was actually someone else's. And so by being able to separate that out, coming back into themselves just felt so much more at peace and so much more whole and complete than what they'd felt before. Mm. And, you know, and that's happened quite a lot of people that go back to the womb. They learn so much about how they've been carrying other people's traumas around with them, you know, like they were their own. So it's so profound and so empowering to let go of all of that from our body, from our nervous system 
and to feel compassion for their mother as well in that moment. I was going to say it also helps you to understand and appreciate without having to know all the detail. It just allows you just the space and place to be okay with it all. And I think that's such a, and and I love the way you talk about it being such a gentle experience because there's so many different modalities out there that almost a re-traumatizing or um, re-living experiences. And I think that's what I love about this work so much. And, And the people that I found are drawn to it. What I love most about this is that people that like yourself that are coaches and drawn into doing it is because of your own healing journey and the Mm. empathy and the compassion, the knowledge, the learning, the understanding that has come from doing the work for yourself. And Mm. I think that's what's so precious about beautiful coaches like yourself. Can you explain then just a little bit about, you know, you do one-to-one, you mentioned over Zoom, you do long sessions, short sessions, hypno, like just give us a little brief overview as to what you have on offer. Yeah. um, So what I do is I I do tailor make the courses, uh, the, the sessions that I have, because some people have done a lot of work. Um, you know, some people have been following beautiful people like yourself for quite some time who already have, um, a bit more of an awareness around, you know, a lot of people might be hearing the spirit having a human experience for the first time. Um, but other people may have been, you know, of that belief for themselves or something similar to that for a long time. So, um, some people really just, you know, I've, I've got people that I've worked with who really do have every single duck in a row, but they just can't stop drinking. And so we've done shorter packages for them where we really have just worked on the alcohol and then maybe just a few more sessions afterwards, just to, to see how that integration process goes. And then I have longer sessions, people who have had, um, what they believe to be a lot of traumatic experiences, um, or PTSD. And so, like even tomorrow I'm doing an eight hour breakthrough session with a really beautiful woman um, who, you know, and again, we talk about when was the last time that somebody actually sat down and just let you pour your heart out for eight hours solid in a beautiful safe container, you know, to let you feel safe and loved and guided um, to be able to really understand themselves on the most profound and deep level. It's beautiful. And so what I do is sometimes I do the breakthrough with um, somewhere between two and six uh, follow-up sessions because we really want to have that integration in between. And integration for somebody who may not be familiar with that is actually just allowing those changes to take place and to live them for a little while. And, you know, sometimes just uh, the day after a session or a couple of days after a session, you're still having things pop up in your mind that you're still sorting and filtering. I like to think that our unconscious mind is like a gigantic compactus and that, you know, there's some of the files that we didn't know were there anymore. We've now recovered those and we just need to file them back in all the right orders. And that could take a couple of days to all really settle and make sense and feel at home within us. Um, so, Uh, sometimes I do mini breakthroughs. So I'll do like a four hour session with six follow-up sessions after that. Um, and then there's another session that I do. I love doing three hours as my first session with people because I feel, you know, that we only sort of start to scratch the surface and then time's up. Um, whereas three hours really allows themselves to, to get out what it is that is actually the problem because sometimes the problem that is presenting 
is not actually what the problem is at all. It just, it feels like the safest problem to have in that moment. So we do a lot of digging and self-discovery. Um, and then we start to really sink our teeth into whatever it is that we come up with at the deepest level that we can get and start doing some change work. Um, so yeah, the three hours and then with, uh, four follow-up sessions after that, I do offer, I call the big one, um, like a six month program with my clients as well, which starts with an eight hour breakthrough. And then we meet every fortnight after that, um, for six months. So, that, you know, that allows people to really start to dive in deep and then just to continue to work. And then, you know, life happens in between those sessions. Um, you know, the world is not going to all of a sudden be, you know, uh, rainbows and lollipops all the time. Um, you know, real life will continue to happen. And so having a coach on your side, keeping you accountable, setting tasks for, um, for you that, you know, you're expected to then complete, um, and also having someone to reach out to in those moments when they're they're feeling at their depth, again, because life continues to happen, um, you know, having a coach who is there as a consistent basis for, you know, um, a couple of months just means that they can reach out and say, hey, today I need this. Um, or and, and just I check up on my clients a lot in between as well. I, I follow my intuition. If I think of somebody and I think, oh, they could really use a meditation along these lines, then I will do a hypnotic journey just for them. You know, I just, I like to play it all by ear because every single person is different. Every single client has different needs and wants. Um, and I love the flexibility that the work that we do offers us. So again, it's all tailor-made, it's all custom applied to, to people and what they need. And we can change things midway. If we take a different direction, there's, there's a lot that we can do, but yeah, I love working with people one-on-one. -on -one. I also do, I've started running women's circles, um, in Adelaide and I'm actually running a women's circle next month in Sydney as well. I'll be visiting Sydney for the first time in a long time where my family is, um, and doing a women's circle, um, on the Easter Monday there as well. So getting women together, I do a beautiful hypnotic regression or a symbolic sanctuary journey. So we, we go to the most magical, beautiful place that people can think of and we find symbols to help them come up to, with solutions for whatever problems they, they enter that beautiful space with. Um, and that is quite profound as well. And then we share because women coming together, um, and men coming together as well, obviously, but these ones that I'm doing are for women coming together and bearing their soul in a beautiful, safe space where they know that, you know, what goes on tour stays on tour. Nothing leaves the room. There's no judgment. Um, we learn from each other. And we get to also unpack, you know, that vulnerability. I love that for me. That's been so empowering um, is being able to be vulnerable and just go, huh, I was able to share my deepest, darkest secrets and I didn't die. Hey, that feels really good. Um, and so it gives people the space to be able to just share. And some people might not feel called to having, you know, big sessions or one-on-one -on -one sessions or hypnotic um hypnotherapy or any of that sort of stuff, but they do want to have that connection with other women and to be able to have a journey and to share, um, that feels profound as well. So that's predominantly what I'm doing at the moment. I love coaching people. Um, and it's not just about alcohol coaching. You know, I love coaching people in any, anything that, um, you know, they feel that they need. Um, I agree. So, and, and I always say to people, if I could wave a magic wand Yes. How much would you be willing to pay to yes. release hurts 
things that are holding you back, limiting thoughts, emotions, and decisions, yeah. how much would you pay? And I really invite the listener right here, right now, what would you pay to be really happy? Mm. And that's a really big question for some people because they don't see the value or they don't understand the value of investing mm. in self. Or like you said, there can be guilt or there can be an element of they've never done that before. Yeah. But we all know. Or it's not okay to, to complain or it's not okay to tell people about your deepest, darkest secrets. You know, a lot of people have those beliefs as well. Yes. And they don't believe that they've got the ability to heal this or is it really that mm. simple yeah you know like is it yeah. really that simple and we have that <laughs> yes it is yeah <laughs> and we have that critical factor in our head that's yes. always playing devil's yeah. advocate but it's a good one and look you and I both know we've seen some remarkable results oh, not incredible. only for ourselves but for others but also I just yeah I really want the listener to hear that what would you pay because for some people I've had them say I'd pay a hundred dollars some people said holy heck I'd pay a hundred thousand dollars yeah um, so it's really it's not so much what you think you're worth but what if if I really could promise you happiness what would you pay for authentic that? happiness as well like That's yeah right. that I say that as well like if you could just click your fingers and just have everything fall away like you know peeling off all those layers like an onion and you ended up being the happiest, most authentic version of yourself, not having to put on, you know, the happy face or not having to put on a facade or a mask or be the people pleaser. You know, I, I call it the, the business class or the first class, you know, conundrum is like when you've been flying economy and you've been going all night. And in that moment, you want to press that bell and say to the attendant, take my credit card and upgrade me now. And when you're in the depths of your, you know, your deepest, darkest days in those moments, what would it be worth to have somebody on your side and helping you to get out and not have to go quite to that space again? You know, what is that worth for you to invest in yourself to be truly happy? I love that. That's a great question, Kim. Yeah, I agree. Sweetheart, we've come to the end, but what I'd love, thank you so much for sharing so, so much with us. <laughs> um, I really do appreciate it. I've loved your story. I always love to complete our beautiful journey. Um, I'll put all the links. By the way, if someone wants to follow you on Instagram or Facebook, just mm -hmm. so that in case they're driving right now, what would be the best place to, to yeah. follow you? Yeah. So Instagram and Facebook. Um, so it's cat Parkinson, that's cat with a C. Um, and I'm nine lives coaching. That's my business. And so, uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, um, email if you want. I'm cat.parkinson at hotmail.com. That's cat with a C. Um, I welcome any, any questions or any chats, anything like that. That would be wonderful. And Kim, thank you so much for the opportunity today. And listeners, thank you so much for listening. I know it was a lot of talking from my part, um, but I'm hoping that there's something in there for, you know, as I said, even if it's just that one person, um, you know, I hope this has helped somebody today. You help more people than you could ever imagine, my sweet. And to finish off, Perhaps you could give to us your favorite quote right now. Ooh, yes. Um, and I'm surprised I haven't used it already because I love this quote so much. And this is from the gorgeous Brene Brown. And she says that in order for shame to thrive, it needs three things, secrecy, silence, and judgment. And once we can actually start talking about our story and bringing it to light, 
and not judging ourselves, it means that we can start getting rid of that shame um, around it and just seeing it for what it is. It was just an experience. So there's a lot of paraphrasing in there, but I do love that quote. I really do believe that shame holds so many people back, um, especially around alcohol, because a lot of people, they may try to quit um, and then they drink again and then they feel that regret and that guilt and that shame and that shame's a huge one. And so then there's that downward spiral. They go even further into shame, but by being able to, to talk about whatever it is that has been needing to be masked, getting rid of that shame is profound. Kat Parkinson, thank you so, so much for being on the self-love podcast. Love you, sweetheart. Thank you so much, Kim. And I love you so much too. And have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.